by downloading or listening to this podcast. You are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Moody's Talks Inside Emerging Markets. I'm your host, Rahul Ghosh, and I'm coming to you from my home here in the UK. So from a credit perspective, precious few, if any, emerging market regions, sectors or asset classes have been immune to the unprecedented economic and financial shock brought about by the coronavirus. However, it's also true that many countries have built up buffers to help them weather more turbulent times, a lesson very much learned from previous crises. So in this podcast series, we aim to make sense of the relative strengths and weaknesses across the emerging market universe and bring you our perspectives on the very latest in developments. Coming up on today's show... Last month, the G20 Group of Countries unveiled its Debt Service Suspension Initiative, or DSSI, an emergency plan designed to provide extraordinary financial assistance and lend a hand to EM governments that need it most. We discuss why the plan, while ambitious in nature, is unlikely to cure underlying credit challenges for the most vulnerable sovereigns. Because of the nature of the shock and because we expect the recovery after the shock, to be long and difficult. We believe that actually some country will remain post-shock with very deteriorated fiscal numbers. But first, governments around the world have enacted relief measures to temper the economic fallout from the coronavirus with the aim of supporting consumers, helping ailing industries and providing market liquidity. So this support has included moratoriums on debt payments and forbearance that allows borrowers to push off loan payments, at least temporarily. So for more on this topic and what it means from a credit perspective, I'm really delighted to be joined by Daniela Jaisuria, a senior vice president with our structured finance team in New York. Uh, Daniela's group provides ratings and credit analysis on structured finance deals in Latin America, one of the biggest securitization markets across the EM. So firstly, thanks so much for joining us today, Daniela. Thank you very much for having me. Okay, so what type of support measures have we seen put in place across Latin American countries uh, to help borrowers in the midst of this crisis? Both companies as well as consumers have been impacted by COVID-19, also in Latin America. And so what we have seen is that regulatory bodies as well as servicers, who are the entities that collect on those credits, um, have been offering some sort of financial relief to the borrowers, such as a deferral or forbearance. And we've seen that across the region. For example, in Argentina, you know, we have uh, credit cards where governmental bodies temporarily reduced uh, interest rates on those. For Mexico, we have the uh, mortgages where servicers have offered between three to six months of holiday in terms of principal and interest payments. And then in Brazil, where we have uh, auto transactions, we've seen 60-day payment deferrals as well by servicers uh, for consumers that need relief. Um, However, some of that is actually mitigated in certain transactions that we rate, given that these deals have uh, mechanisms such as payroll deduction or automatic debits, which 
as long as that person is employed, you know, that they can continue uh, having those cash flows coming in. Okay, so it sounds like across the region, we've seen quite a few steps to help struggling borrowers avoid default on their loans in many cases. Uh, But I wonder, Daniela, are there more complex knock-on effects uh, for structured finance transactions that are backed by these loans? Yes, indeed. And I can think of three um, main items uh, to mention. Um, Firstly, uh, the fact that the payments are being deferred, uh, that means that the cash flows to the transactions uh, will decline. So if you think of the assets of the transactions, you know, they're not receiving those payments. So that means that on the liability side, where you're trying to make uh, uh, payments on the transaction, uh, that could be impaired, such as making timely payment of interest or covering for any trust expenses as well. That is the first item. Secondly, obviously, um, with COVID-19, we've seen rising unemployment in many jurisdictions. So one of the risks is whether after the end of the forbearance period, uh, these people are going to still be able to make those payments. Um, if not, they will roll into delinquencies and eventually defaults, which could lead to a rise in delinquencies and defaults in future. And lastly, um, another thing that we see is that servicers on the transactions and other transaction counterparties could become more financially stressed due to COVID-19. And uh, with that, we can see a greater operational risk if, for example, a servicer needs to be replaced. In many transactions, this actually is mitigated by the presence of a master servicer or backup servicer, which would um, ease that transfer should that ever be necessary. Thanks, Daniela. Very clear. So it seems important to keep an eye on second order effects. Uh, Perhaps to end with, I'd just like to take a a global perspective. Um, How have the measures that you've seen in Latin America and the implications for the securitization market compared to, say, uh, the US? Yeah, so the pandemic is indeed a global issue and the tools available to the servicers, you know, and jurisdictions is generally the same, you know, providing some sort of temporary uh, uh, relief to those that are facing this sort of hardship during the pandemic period. However, one thing that I can say is slightly different, you know, in some of the developed countries like the U.S. is the level of support that uh, governments are being able to provide, such as in the U.S. where we have the CARES Act, where resources have been put directly to aid borrowers, individual borrowers, as well as small businesses, um, as well as very large uh, liquidity facilities and, and ways to fund banks, you know, corporates, as well as structure finance uh, issuers as well. Okay, so thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Daniela, and sharing your perspectives. Uh, For those of you interested in the very latest research on the credit effects of the coronavirus, please do check out our dedicated topic page at moody's.com forward slash coronavirus to find out more. The effects of the coronavirus on emerging markets have been far-reaching but uneven, with many of the world's poorest countries typically facing the worst of the economic and financial upheaval. So last month, the G20 Group of Countries announced the Debt Service Suspension Initiative, or DSSI, in a bid to help governments that are confronting near-term liquidity pressures. While debt relief could provide a welcome tonic for low-income countries, the credit effects are often far from straightforward. So for more, I'm joined by Lucy Villa of Moody's Sovereign Team based in Paris. Welcome, Lucy. Great to have you on the podcast. Nice to be there. 
Okay, so many emerging markets are facing foreign currency shortages. Uh, can you provide to our audience, Lucy, a sense of just how big this problem is and some of the main countries that are affected? Sure. So it's interesting, Raoul, you, you, you use um, this word big and actually the problem is very big. Uh, and this is because primarily the coronavirus shock is detrimental for all countries globally. There are no exceptions. Uh, and the shock really affect countries' external position. And that is, for instance, in contrary to uh, some of the other shocks uh, that we've witnessed in the past, like, for instance, the oil price shock uh, in to- around 2015. This time around, all exporters are, again, the most affected, but are not the only one. Uh, and front in line, um, Nigeria and Angola, we flagged on the African continent, are the most affected. Great. Thanks. Thanks, Lucy. You've really, you know, talking to us about external challenges uh, on all fronts. Uh, and perhaps no surprise then that official lenders are looking to come in and provide l- relief to the most vulnerable. Uh, so in terms of the, the DSSI G20 initiative that I mentioned, you know, what do you think it would do and which countries are eligible to participate? Sure. So l- let me start with the later question, which is about, you know, countries eligible. So the initiative said countries that are considered as IDA, which stands from International Development Association, which is actually a concept developed by the World Bank, are eligible. And then those that are also belonging to the least developed countries, which is a concept defined by the UN, are also eligible. In practice and in simpler terms, uh, because the latter is a subset of the former, the eligible countries are the IDA countries plus Angola. Then the objective for these sovereigns is to suspend all the debt service payments that they owe to bilateral creditors, and that's until the end of 2020. The initiative also calls for other creditors to participate, uh, and that could be creditors that are either from the private sector or official multilateral creditors. Yeah, thanks, Lucy. I'd like to talk a little bit about the role of the private sector in just a moment. But, you know, you fleshed out the nuts and bolts of this initiative. I guess the the multi-billion dollar question is, uh, do you think it's actually going to work in in terms of providing liquidity relief? I mean, there is no doubt it will provide some liquidity relief just because the government will not have to pay what they were supposed to, to, to pay. Uh, but of course, then the question is, the extent of the relief that is provided is commensurate to the size of the debt service that was owed. And here, when we look at the numbers, these are small numbers. We, we have to, to say that. And it's, it's something to be expected. It is not surprising because we're speaking of bilateral lending. And bilateral lending is, one, just a subset of the government debt service. Uh, and second, it tends to be granted in the first place with favorable terms. So low interest, long and amortized maturity. So liquidity relief it will provide, but very modest one. Hmm. But many frontier market sovereigns, uh, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, which I know Lucy is an area you're focused on, but as well as Asia, uh, have relied more heavily on what we call market-based debt. Uh, instruments in recent years. And so in a way, that's really increased and heightened the importance of private sector investors. You touched on this earlier, Lucy, but perhaps you could further elaborate on how the role of private sector investors may complicate the process of achieving meaningful debt relief. 
Yeah, so indeed, as, as you pointed out, private creditor debt is, is larger today than it used to be uh, for, for, for these countries, not only in terms of stocks, uh, but also in terms of flows. So when we look at the share of the debt service owed by these governments uh, to private creditors versus the rest of the creditors. So by definition, if uh, the initiative wanted to provide us a, a relief that would be as uh, large as possible, then it would need to include those private creditors. On the other hand, it is important to stress that from a rating agency perspective, that would entail the possibility of losses for private sector creditors. Uh, and that uh, would mean negative pressure for some of, of the sovereign ratings that would participate in that initiative. Mm, and, and and this isn't just sort of a, a theoretical point, Lucy. We're starting to see some uh, practical examples. Uh, Ethiopia and Pakistan, for instance, uh, have both sought official debt service relief. What have been the sort of credit significances of, of these moves? Sure. So the key question for us is whether the participation of these countries uh, to the liquidity uh, relief initiative raises the possibility of a default or losses for, for, for private creditors. Um, and at the rating category level, at the ratings where they are in the B category, uh, we believe that for Pakistan and Ethiopia to officially say we want to participate, we're seeking the participation of this initiative and we want to benefit from the debt relief, then there is a question mark for us in terms of whether or not ultimately the private creditors will participate. Uh, and because of that, we decided to place both ratings uh, under review for possible uh, for possible downgrades. So quite of a significance, of course, from a rating perspective. Mm, no, interesting examples. Thank you, Lucy. Perhaps finally, if we zoom back out, um, I'd like to finish by asking, you know, do you think for countries that do seek debt relief, that these sort of measures can help alleviate public debt burdens over, over the medium term and put debt trajectories back on track? I mean, to be clear, I, I don't think, you know, anyone and I don't think actually even the initiative uh, is aimed at uh, uh, alleviating uh, public debt trend because this is more of a liquidity short and fixed that they intend to provide. Um, but clearly what we think, because of the nature of the shock and because we expect the recovery after the shock to be long and difficult, we believe that actually some countries will remain post-shock with very deteriorated fiscal numbers. And that clearly for us uh, means that if there aren't um, anything that is there in place to mitigate that, uh, then over the medium term, uh, the public debt burden is going to be heavier and heavier. Uh, and that's uh, one of the key uh, concerns we have from a more medium term perspective. Fascinating discussion. Uh, thank you so much, Lucy. I I'm sure debt relief will no doubt remain a key topic uh, in our analysis research and outreach. Speaking of which, please check out our new Emerging Markets in Focus webinar channel. Uh, on this platform, we'll bring you the very best of our global emerging market views in the forms of interviews, panel discussions, and interactive Q&A. And to find out more, uh, go to events.moody's.io forward slash emerging markets. But until next time, 
Thanks very much for joining us.